Welcome to the Finance and Governance Committee of Denver City Council. This meeting of the Finance and Governance Committee begins now. everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's Tuesday, February 20th. I'm Amanda Sawyer. This is the Finance and Governance Committee, and I have the honor of chairing this committee. Um, just wanted to let everyone know today we're sort of doing something a little bit different. We're going to do a um, joint Ludi and FinGov discussion of the um, ADU legislation at the state. Um, and so before we get started with that, I don't see Councilmember Sandoval here, Council Pro Tem Sandoval online. Um, she might be joining us in a couple of minutes, but let's do a round of introductions and we'll start all the way down to my left. Good morning, Madam Chair, Stacy Gilmore, District 11. Good morning, everyone. Serana Gonzalez Gutierrez, uh, Council Member at Large. And I'm Flora Alvidrez with Lucky District Number 7. Good morning, Paul Cashman, South Denver, District 6. Uh, good morning, everyone. Kevin Flynn, Southwest Denver's District 2. Jamie Torres, District 3. Sarah Parody, I represent the city at large. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I just want to make very clear as we get started, um, this is just a discussion between council members. There's no voting that's going to happen today or anything like that. Um, this is a piece of state legislation that would affect the city um, and some of the work that we have done with accessory dwelling units. And so uh, I wanted to create a space where we could have a public conversation about it um, and work with our lobbyists and community planning and development to, to get questions answered and all of those different kinds of things. So I wanna thank you guys all for being here today. Um, and I'm gonna let you kick it off. Adam, are you going first? Great. Thanks, Councilwoman. Uh, Adam Berg, Director of Federal and State Affairs in the Mayor's Office. Uh, so I wanted to bring this conversation to you today. Um, we're just under 80 days left in the legislative session. Over 500 items have been introduced. That's bills, resolutions, uh, quick pace down there and lots of conversation around land use again this year. Much like last year, you will recall that uh, the governor decided to break down what was House Bill 213 into multiple pieces of legislation this year uh, as an attempt to see what sort of uh, will make it through the process where there's sort of an appetite from legislators to, to take things on. And one of those bills is the accessory dwelling unit piece of legislation we're going to talk about today. So I'm actually gonna turn it over to uh, our lobby team, Policy Matters, for a quick high level overview of this piece of legislation. And then we are going to have some of our uh, CPD technical experts jump into that bill. Great, thank you so much. Come on up and introduce yourselves. Hi everyone, I'm Heather Resco from the Policy Matters team. Good morning, Tanya Kelly-Bowry from the Policy Matters team. Nice to see you all. Nice to see you all. Thank you so much for having us. It's been great to represent you at the Capitol. We had a, um, a great time with the council, uh, with council member Parity last week, um, she came to testify on behalf of the Just Cause bill. So we're already hitting the ground running at the Capitol. Um, One other important thing I wanted to make sure that we got in with Councilwoman Sawyer, who, as, and a few of you, as you know, Councilman Flynn and Councilman Cashman, and of course our president, and of course our former president have been with the policies before. One of the great things that Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez and Councilman Hines have instituted is really having you guys engage on voting on key issues. And one of the big things that we'd really like to encourage you is just timing is of the essence. 
Um, I think your representatives for the Legislative Affairs Committee have done a great job of bringing back the majority vote on things, but we definitely want to make sure every council member's voice is heard. So just taking a look at those key pieces of legislation as they come out. I think Adam has done a great job as, as have um, our two council members of getting the information and bills out to you, but we'd love to just get that perspective and move on getting our amendments in. And then the last piece we're really excited about, not only do we have CPD, but we'd love to call on Councilwoman Sandoval's expertise around this issue. Again, we're just stating on the record, this is more just an educational session, um, which I think is really important. And we're very appreciative to the legislators that provided some fact sheets and background so we could come well prepared to speak with you today. Turn it back over to Heather, thank you. Great, thank you, Tanya. Um, so House Bill 1152 is sponsored by Representatives Amabile and Weinberg and also Senator Molica um, and Senator Exum. This PowerPoint also is just kind of a compilation of the different fact sheets and information that has been kind of passing around the, the state capitol. So we combined it into one for you. Um, so overall, um, this bill gives homeowners the right to build an ADU if, um, if, the, if the municipality that they live in qualifies as a metro planning organization um, that has at least a thousand or more people within, um, within it. And so this is five major areas across the state, Denver, Northern Colorado, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and the Grand Junction area. Um, jurisdictions can also qualify if they wanna opt into this legislation or if they live in urban parts of unincorporated counties with one or five um, metro major areas with a population of 10,000 or more. And I know our experts will give you a lot more um, information about how Denver fits in with this. Um, the bill also importantly creates two new state grant programs. So one of the programs is a fee reduction grant program, which would essentially provide grants to jurisdictions that qualify under this bill um, to give homeowners assistance on permitting fees, pre-approved ADU design templates. We know that that's been kind of an expensive process for homeowners in the past um, and also technical ass assistance. Um, the second grant program would provide um, financing through low interest um, financing to low and moderate income homeowners who wanna build ADUs. Um, to qualify for this low interest financing, they would have to commit to renting their ADU unit to, um, at an affordable rate. Um, the impacts to local governments um, that are created through this legislation are that they really um, limit restrictions that can currently exist in jurisdictions. So it limits the ability for jurisdictions to create owner occupancy restrictions. Um, it limits uh, restrictions on parking requirements um, and limits restrictions on the, the size of a ADU unit. But it does give flexibility to governments to regulate things like short-term rentals, parking for ADA, allowing larger or smaller ADUs, applying impact or similar fees, and also applying historic district standards and creating um, local incentives to build ADUs. Um, to qualify for, this, for these grant funds and have um, access to the community members, um, jurisdictions have to do one of, the, one of the five things listed here on the PowerPoint. So they either have to agree to have pre-approved ADU plans um, available to the community, incentivize affordability through lower fees or incentives, create ADU technical assistance programs, provide short-term rental regulations, or um, give incentives again to residents to create um, and build ADUs. 
So that's just a general overview of what this bill does, but I know our experts here will um, fill in information on how this impacts the city and county of Denver. And Heather did a really good job. I think one of the key pieces, as you all know, the bill has not, it's more a draft form. We're hearing the sponsors are gonna be Senators Tony Exum, he's from Colorado Springs, maybe you may know him. Senator Kyle Mullica, who lives up in Adams County area. Representative Judy Amalue, who's from the Boulder County area. And who was our last one? I forget the last. Exum Mullica Weinberg, Representative Weinberg. Weinberg. Thank you. So um, we will definitely have conversations with them, but just wanted to make sure we have a lot of background. I do wanna point out uh, that our former city councilwoman, when she was a state legislator, ran the first bill on this in 2021. Um, but we'd love to really talk, I think a little bit with our experts now and also hear, um, Madam Chair, would we wanna hear from Councilwoman Sandoval first or we wanna do our housing department, how would you like to proceed? Um, so what I'd like to do is if CPD has a presentation, do you guys have a presentation, Abe? Yeah, so if CPD would like to do their presentation, I think we'll let them do that as well. And then Perfect. I will open it up to Council Member Sandoval, Council Pro Tem, sorry, Sandoval, um, to add her comments and then we'll open it up for questions. Perfect, thank you Great. so much. Thank you. Abe, you wanna come on up? Thank you. <clears throat> Chair Sawyer, and uh, good to see you, members of the committee. I'm Abe Barge with uh, Community Planning and Development. Uh, I'm joined by Sarah Showalter, who's the Director of uh, the Planning Services Division of CPD, who can help answer questions. Um, we do have a short presentation. Many of the slides um, are quite similar or even less detailed versions of the ones you just saw. So I will try to skip past those so that we can get to questions more quickly. Um, that really in includes uh, this slide just on the background of the intentions of the bill sponsors really to create, uh, facilitate the creation of ADUs as a housing option in Colorado. And that uh, Denver would certainly um, be in the category of cities as the largest city in the state uh, that the bill would apply to. Um, the one additional thing that uh, I'll note about the bill's mandate that uh, cities allow uh, ADUs wherever single unit residential is allowed is just the reminder, I think uh, most or all of you know that uh, staff have actually begun work with a group of city council members to allow ADUs uh, citywide, which will implement our adopted plans, technically separate from this state effort, although um, the, the timing is definitely relatively aligned. Um, and then uh, the policy team, team mentioned uh, the specific restrictions that the bill places on communities in terms of what uh, would be allowed or, or not within requirements having to do with ADUs. Um, so I'll, I'll just try to mention uh, like where our current regulations do and don't align with those. And so a key point is this uh, owner occupancy provision that we do have, uh, it applies in single unit zone districts to accessory dwelling units, means that the owner of the property has to live on the property. They can live in the ADU, but they have to live on the property. Um, the state bill would uh, not allow for that requirement. That's very similar to uh, state bills that have happened in Oregon, California, and other states, but the basic rationale being that such a requirement can make it difficult to finance ADUs, uh, can create some uncertainty for those building ADUs. And 
may uh, be seen as uh, favoring owners over rentals, uh, renters uh, in housing. So the bill, uh, uh, some other things that the bill would prohibit are um, setback requirements for ADUs that are more restrictive than setback requirements for other accessory structures on the same lot. And uh, those of you who were involved with the ADUs in Denver project, which, which finished last year, is also great timing because many of the things we looked at in that project actually resulted in uh, our current ADU requirements being much more aligned with uh, what would be required by the state if that bill passed. Uh, but one of the considerations that was really important in that project was aligning our ADU rules uh, with different neighborhood contexts throughout the city. We heard very clearly that what fits in in one neighborhood uh, might not be the best fit for another neighborhood. So, for example, um, particularly in more suburban areas, uh, we actually have a fairly significant uh, rear setback requirements for ADUs in place now, particularly where there's not an alley varies depending on the height of the ADU, but those setbacks are more restrictive than what we would require, say, for a shed or a garage, and it's really because we heard that's different. When something's habited, there's a different sort of expectation that people have about the, the relationship uh, in terms of privacy with another property. Um, and then the graphics on this page just illustrate, uh, yep, contexts are different, obviously, and we've um, aligned our requirements accordingly. Another key uh, portion of the state uh, bill is that ADUs, um, HOAs, homeowners associations, would not be allowed to prohibit ADUs. And that's something only the state can do because the HOAs are enabled by the state in the first place. So um, the policy team mentioned the things that we would be allowed to do, regulate short-term rentals, applying historic district standards, um, having parking requirements that relate to the Americans with Disabilities Act. So, um, and then actually just, they did a better job of explaining, I think, the kind of financing that uh, would be made available to um, jurisdictions that comply with the rules. I'll just mention that, um, of course, right at this moment, we don't comply with the key component of the bill, which is allowing you to use everywhere where single unit uh, is allowed, but we do have our own effort underway in that direction. Uh, in most other ways, uh, I think we're either there or quite close to being a community that could be certified for these funding opportunities, which is great. So with that, uh, let's just go to questions and discussion. All right, thank you very much. Um, before we get started with questions, I wanna welcome Council Pro Tem Sandoval and uh, Councilmember Watson who joined us during the presentation. Um, Council Pro Tem Sandoval, I know that you've been very active in um, working on ADU legislation across the city um, for the last four years. So I wanted to give you an opportunity if there was any comments that you wanted to make, you don't have to. Thank you. <clears throat> and thank you all for allowing this um, briefing and kind of as uh, it was mentioned, these bills move really fast and there's lots of feedback. Um, and so it's uh, trying to figure out how to balance when we're giving feedback and when we're not is a bit challenging in these type of situations. Um, the only thing that I would say is that um, overall, I think that the bills changed a lot since last year when it was introduced. Um, it feels 
like they listened. I, I see a couple challenges. I feel like everything on the front range is part of the bill and nothing past that. So I don't feel like this is creating, um, it's not for Colorado. It feels like it should be called the front range ADU bill because it's not actually implementing anything past the front range. And also I worked diligently when I was um, working on accessory dwelling units. I believe that yes, it does create challenges to have owner occupied um, to build, be able to build an accessory dwelling unit. But also if we open that up, I'm concerned about some of the unintended consequences that would happen in communities, vulnerable communities with gentrification and displacement. That is a main concern of mine. Um, so with that, I'll pass it back to the chair of FinGov and um, go into the queue. Thank you. Great, thank you. I also want to welcome Councilmember Romeo Campbell who joined us. And let's go to Q. We'll start with Councilmember Flynn. Thank you, Madam Chair. I want to echo uh, Council uh, Pro Tem's concern, Sandoval's concern about the owner-occupant requirement and uh, the vulnerability in, in at-risk neighborhoods. Uh, the owner-occupancy requirement is fairly widely supported by the people of Denver. What concerns me overall about this bill, and I would advocate that the city take a position of amend on this, is that we put a lot of work and a lot of public outreach into the ADUs in Denver project. Abe, thank you for bringing that up and uh, working with Josh Palmieri on it. And what, about a year and a half, maybe two years? I don't know how many uh, unique individuals were uh, involved in it, but it was quite extensive. I have two neighborhood planning initiatives scheduled for my district this year, and I need to go look my constituents in the face and say, your input matters. And how can I do that if the legislature can come in after we've done all this ADUs in Denver work uh, and we've established a set of design standards for every unique context that we have in our built environment, which varies all across the city. Uh, how can I look them in the eye and say, it really matters for you to come and give us your input. I would like to see us take the position of amend and ask that the legislature uh, provide for uh, municipalities or entities that are subject to this, uh, if they have adopted reasonable standard design standards form standards in every neighborhood context that that's okay because as abe alluded uh, where there is no alley it does make a difference whether it's a tool shed that backs up to your backyard fence or it's an inhabited structure when my kids are playing in the backyard across the fence where there's an alley it's 16 feet and we have five foot setbacks that's 26 feet between backyard ADUs that might face one another across an alley. My district has one alley, one alley. And uh, we have established, as I said, suburban context standards that are very, very reasonable and do permit development of ADUs in every type of residential zone, whether it's suburban, urban edge, urban, you name it. In any single unit zone, we will allow ADUs. They just have to look like this. I don't understand why there is a compulsion to do this one size fits all, and it concerns me very greatly. So I would like to see us 
uh, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez and, uh, and Hines, uh, I would like to see us take a position of amend and make allowance for entities, cities, 10,000 population areas and unincorporated, if they have adopted reasonable forms and standards, which we have. Otherwise, when I kick off these two NPIs, I'm gonna have to warn people, it might not matter <laughs> what you have to say about the neighborhood where you live. Uh, Denver needs to continue to provide a wide range of neighborhood types in order to keep and attract the diversity of households that we wanna have in this city and not use a cookie cutter, uh, one size fits all approach. Um, I'm also uh, a little bit concerned. I'm not really asking a question, am I? Uh, I'm also a little bit concerned about the uh, HOA override. Uh, this is a real estate private contract between private individuals and I don't understand uh, where it's, a, it's, a, uh, uh, it's an element, it's a circumstance, an ADU that doesn't fall under any of the fair housing issues that would cause an HOA override, say, of racial covenants, right? Uh, so I'm a little concerned about that. That maybe, uh, Tanya or Heather, you could comment on other instances where the legislature has overridden private contracts. You know, just thoughtful. We want to have a conversation discussion. We will definitely be taking positions at some point in terms of the discussions that you all will have. We wanted to just be, just because of the public record, more thoughtful mm -hmm. about the conversations. But I think one of the things we did forget to bring up was to thank the council and the city and county of Denver and the great work that CPD has done, that Councilwoman Sandoval, that all of you have done um, in the past. Yeah. The legislators did tell us that, you know, some of this legislation was modeled on the good work that Denver, the city and county of Denver has already done. And so we were remiss in, remiss in not bringing that up in our initial presentation. Um, it's interesting, the dynamics of the politics on this also really involve the executive branch. And I think Adam um, and Dominic in the past have, Adam did a really good job of talking about sort of who's driving the bills. That Senate Bill 213 bill and a lot of the housing bills that initially started was one big bill. And we're really seeing this year, all of these different bills, right. looking at some of the overriding of some of these uh, different entities in separate bills. So um, as your new lobbying team, we're still kind of unwinding that to really understand some of those dynamics. And I think that will come forward more as the bills get introduced and we see who all of those stakeholders have been. Some of these bills have been stakeholded really behind closed doors. Um, I do think we've been fortunate that our council members have been invited in to some of those private stakeholder meetings as has um, the mayor's office with uh, former Senator Moreno and um, Adam Burr playing a key role and us having conversations with the members. Uh, but I think uh, some of this, there's still quite a few of these that are emerging right now. And so we just wanted to make sure we had this educational session to get the background and utilize our expertise um, and just get feedback from you all so that we can steep ourselves more in the issue. Heather, do you wanna talk about that map in the front range back to Sandoval's point? Yes, I know council member um, Sandoval brought up the kind of it being Colorado versus Front Range, and we are remiss in not including, there's a really great map that kind of shows the um, geography of which all of these areas qualify. Um, and so we can send that over to you all. And certainly we have heard conversations around that HOA piece. So we'll definitely do some digging and keep our ears open um, to, to see how those conversations go. But I think you bring up a, a good point. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Other questions or thoughts? 
Councilmember Flynn, you good? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the Councilwoman, did you have a comment on that? On which portion? Uh, no, I just think that, um, I don't know if we'll, as a body, I don't know if we'll get to a place where we can all agree on this one. I think that um, we're going to see, even if it's amendments, I'm going to defer to um, Councilwoman Gilmore, who has more um, HOAs than any other council district that I know of. And in my discussions during the ADU task force, I always um, went to Councilwoman Gilmore and said, does this work for your council district? Is this something that you can get behind? Um, because I know that she has had great concerns about the HOA and overriding that. And to be honest with you in Northwest Denver, we don't have HOAs. We don't, we just have mostly urban context. And so I, there's nuances to this bill where I don't know as a body if we'll be able to get to um, um, to consensus because of how nuanced it is. And um, when I was at a CMNL forum last week when I spoke on this specific bill, there were several municipalities feeling like this just takes away local control. And so that's another discussion that we have not had um, on this body. So. Um, that's my that's my two cents. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. The only other comment I would make is that in many areas, I've heard it said over the years that Denver, as goes Denver, eventually go the rest of the state. That we usually set the standard, and that others end up following. So my suggestion is that where, just to repeat, uh, where a municipality has already enacted broad designs and allowances for ADUs in every uh, single unit zone, it ought to be allowed to implement them rather than have them stripped away. So thank you, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Council President Torres. Thank you so much. Um, just a technical question on one of the uh, pieces that appeared in the slides deck around um, eligibility. And I think it had to do with opting in to access incentives um, like grants and financing. What does that mean exactly if the local government chooses to opt in? They're eligible or can build an ADU. Thank you for the question. It just means if, a, if, if you qualify as one of these um, as one of these entities. So if you fall under the bill, you essentially would be able to access this financing. Okay. And what is, can you remind me the level of financing that's being considered? I, I think in the bill right now that it, $8 million is what's written, but I know that that's still a figure that's being eight million total. Yeah. Um, but I know that that's, again, something that's part of the negotiations um, happening. The Have they gotten into um, per build how much would go to an owner? No. Have, we have not seen any of that information yet. Okay. And when, um, okay. And then the uh, slides that discuss local government flexibility to regulate, Am I misreading that? But that sounds like where um, Denver can apply additional regulation. It wouldn't be written into this bill, but it also wouldn't um, override anything that Denver already has in the books or? That's correct. Okay. Are there any contradictions as you see it or Abe, as you see it to what Denver's already got in place? 
I think the uh, the key items are owner occupancy, of course, mm -hmm. uh, and also the um, setback requirements that it specifically says they can't be more restrictive than for other accessory structures. And we do have some setback requirements that are more restrictive for ADUs than for other accessory structures. However, you know, things like height limits for ADUs, which we have, and other locational standards, uh, it doesn't explicitly say we can't have those. And they're, um, those are like uh, administrative approval types of items. It doesn't require some discretion to determine whether an ADU is really okay or not. If it meets the height limit, it's okay. That, uh, you know, my read is certainly that we're allowed to have those requirements. How, how into the details does the bill go around other things like setbacks and height requirements? It seems like um, uh, that would be a really difficult thing for it to apply to every community. So I'm just wondering if they've thought about maybe not getting into the weeds on that kind of a thing and leaving that to local government um, to uh, locally regulate. I'll, I'll turn that over to the yeah. other members of the team to also just note that I, I think the, the bill doesn't specifically say what our requirements have to be, but just in a few cases says what they can't be. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I think he just, President, yeah. President Cotas, he just answered your question. One additional point to Heather's um, conversation about the 8 million set aside when you asked about the funding. One of the de big debates that's happening, and thank you for your attendance at the Joint Budget Committee meeting, there are a number of bills that the governor set aside funds. So when he introduces his budget on November 1st, he, this governor in particular has done much more expediently something that a lot of the other governors had, had not done, which was his legislative agenda. He put in something that's called set-asides for those key pieces of legislation. So typically the legislators will hash out and fight over who gets the general fund, who gets those appropriations for their bills as they go through the process. But this governor actually put set-aside monies into his budget and that money is currently in the budget. The budget committee, however, is debating about how much of that they wanna use for these pieces of legislation versus how much they wanna put into K-12 or transportation or, and so I do think there is a big uh, sort of argument brewing between the power of the executive branch versus the legislative branch on how much they can actually put in on those. And I, so your question was very astute and that's to be determined. So we'll continue to keep the council updated on that. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Adam, did you have some context you wanted to add also? I did, yeah. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, so I think what's important is some of these larger conversations uh, around land use this year, not to add confusion where I think there's already a lot around these issues. Uh, there's actually two bills titled ADU, that, ADU this year. Um, so this is something that's happening at the General Assembly around accessory dwelling units, around construction defect, where we are seeing multiple proposals introduced around the same subject, um, which I think goes to show that even down at the Capitol, we are seeing a disagreement or uh, difference in opinions about the best ways to address these issues. So I think I just want to add that as part of this conversation that similar to the conversations I think we're having today here, uh, the legislature is also sort of in this pattern of talking about these things from different perspectives. Um, and I assume as we, we get into other bills, down the road, potentially in front of uh, this group as well on things like construction defect or parking minimums that will uh, try and have that context of, of the difference of opinions of the General Assembly as well. Great, thank you, really appreciate that. Let's go to Council Pro Tem Sandoval. Thank you. Um, 
I didn't see or hear, so sorry if I missed it. Did you say when this was coming to committee, can you talk to the, when will this bill be heard? Um, Councilwoman Tanya Kelly, Valerie Policy Matters Team, they have not dropped it yet. It's still um, coming forward. And so, or do you, am sorry, I wrong? Wait, am I okay. confusing it? it? Yes, I'm sorry. It, confusing it has been dropped and it's up in committee. It's been scheduled for committee next week. Oh, good. We yeah. from today. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm confusing our bills. Sorry. Can you give me the, just for the record, day, time, location, how it goes? Because a lot of um, the public's watching and they're super interested in this. Thank you. Good thing yeah. knows. Apologize, public. That no problem. Thanks to Adam for the computer assist. It's Tuesday, February 27th um, in the House Transportation, Transportation, Housing, and Local Government Committee at 1.30 in the Old State Library at the Capitol. And do people sign up? Because is there time to testify on the written draft, on, on, on the draft that's been um, submitted? Correct. Um, people can testify in person at the Capitol, or there's an online testimony option as well. Um, I should state, though, and I apologize for my confusion, when we did talk with the bill sponsors, I do believe there's going to be some additional amendments that are coming for that committee. That's why I was thinking it was still draft version form. And so as soon as we get that information, we will provide that to Councilwoman Serena or to Gonzalez, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez and Councilman Hines. And again, I think before we terminate our presentation, we just really want to recognize your colleagues. Um, I think this has been a significant amount of work this session, and they have done an incredible job, I think, of keeping us posted, as have Adam and Dominic, um, especially as we're sort of learning a lot of these new issues. So thank you all. Okay. Um, so that was that. That's my question. Thank you, Madam Chair. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, Councilmember Parity. Yeah. And thank you so much to both Madam Chairs for bringing this joint hearing in. It's um, it was a really good idea to kind of get us out ahead of it and into the details since we're having this conversation. Um, so I think one. I have just a quick clarifying question um, on this. That's like the whole premise of the bill, and I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding it. Um, this slide here talks about. Um, you know, allowing ADUs as of right if you live in a covered municipality, which we are, um, and their local government chooses to opt in for the incentives. And I just, is this a bill that um, would be required regardless if we opt in, or would we have the choice of whether or not to opt in to get incentives? Uh, just a very fundamental question or misunderstanding on my part. We'll give it to that group. Sure, well. <laughs> Um, so I think the, the question is that there can be some confusion about whether you have to opt in to get incentives in order to be required to do the thing yeah, exactly. that you're talking yeah. about, essentially. I think the answer is no. The, there's a set of requirements. The municipality must allow ADUs wherever single unit residential is allowed. That, that would apply, regardless of whether okay. you're getting incentives. Um, can't have an owner-occupancy restriction. Uh, restriction, et cetera. Uh, you then, once you've met all of those rules, you're, you're complying with the state legislation, you then could become an ADU-supported municipality by going above and beyond and uh, having certain programs that uh, are listed on a couple of the slides, including uh, having uh, special uh, permitting programs for ADUs, pre-approved ADU designs, that's the going above and beyond thing. You then apply and become eligible for the, for the funding. 
Okay, so the requirements would, would um, come into play if the bill passes and then we would have to go through this like opt-in process to get access to the financing. That's, that's right, that's the opt-in part of it. And it comes with some reporting requirements. Uh, I think, you know, my read is that we're actually fairly close to, to being eligible for, right. for those programs. Yeah, and just editorializing a little bit, I find it a little frustrating. I mean, if the state wants to incentivize ADUs, why would they not just make the financing available and give people access to those without some whole like city certification process layer on top of it? Um, but that's, like I said, just editorializing, not directed at you all. Um, and that I think in light of the answer was my only question actually, thank you. Okay, great, thank you. Councilmember Alvarez. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I'm also curious, well, I'm just curious about the city's owner occupancy requirement and curious if it does actually do a disservice to low-income communities because in my experience, an investor can deliver a turnkey product with things like a new water heater, a new furnace, um, and things like an owner occupancy and Pensy sale of a property doesn't come with that security of like having those baseline things covered so that a new homeowner doesn't have to invest in those things. Um, <clears throat> and maybe not even for a renter because a renter being able to um, sublease or short-term rental part of the property could also benefit them and cause them to lose out on that extra income. Um, which also makes me curious about the occupancy limits bill, which I would really appreciate a presentation about to further understand how that interacts with our policies. And although I am very concerned about gentrification and the effect on our neighborhoods, <clears throat> I think it could actually be lessened by this bill when other municipalities finally start to do their part when it comes to density and our neighborhoods can be more, attra more less attractive to investors just flipping properties um, as a target in the big picture, a lot of the neighboring municipalities that have single family residents are off, those residents are often more affordable than a similar unit in Denver. So that's just some thoughts around that. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Council Member Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, Madam Chair. And thank you um, for putting this all together. I know at such short notice, but we knew again that we were running on um, very tight timeline with the bill being heard next week in committee and, and know that if we don't get on top of things, then it'll just go right by us. Um, I just had a couple of questions because I know, like I've, I've asked um, in some of the meetings about uh, owner uh, the owner occupied piece and just wanting to make sure I'm fully understanding what exactly that that is meaning and how that would um, change our current requirements. So I don't know if that's a CPD question. Sure, thank you very much for the question. Uh, Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Uh, so um, we do have uh, a requirement right now that applies in single unit zone districts where we allow ADUs that the owner uh, must live on the property in the ADU or in the primary um, home. And the state legislation says that that's not an okay requirement to have around ADUs. And so to be compliant, we would have to strike that requirement. Uh, that really is the only requirement in the code that relates to what an owner can do versus what somebody else can do with a property. So it's a fairly unique requirement already. And I think like, you know, when we conducted the ADUs in Denver, uh, project, we had a lot of discussion about all the requirements around ADUs, including owner occupancy. And um, there definitely was a recognition um, 
really on both sides of the issue. There's fear that without that requirement, it becomes easier for an investor to buy a property, build an ADU, and then sell the result at a higher price, for example. However, we did speak with officials and planners in other communities that have allowed ADUs for a long time. And, you know, in Oregon, for example, they have a state law that says they can't have owner-occupancy requirements. And even before that, Portland didn't have those requirements. I think it's been over 15 years now that they haven't. And they do say that they think it actually hasn't changed who builds ADUs very much, that market-wise, it's really much more attractive for somebody who lives on the property to build the ADU for something that they need, for example. They're just thinking about additional income. They're thinking about a family member that may live there. They're thinking about their own future in the neighborhood as they get older and, you know, become empty nesters or whatever and may move into the ADU to stay in the neighborhood. And that it generally is not, from a market standpoint, particularly attractive to buy a property, build an ADU, which can unfortunately cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then flip it for a profit. And so what we heard is that that actually isn't common in cities where there isn't an owner-occupancy requirement. The last thing I'll mention is that we actually did have a couple of surveys in the ADUs in Denver project just to gauge the temperature on various issues. Kind of mixed results when asking about owner-occupancy. Earlier in the project, we said that the requirement existed and asked for the level of support for the requirement. And the results were, this was in May of 2022, about 400 folks responding. 47% of them said that they strongly supported a requirement that the owner live on the property, and 14% somewhat support, so that puts it a little over 60%. Later in the project, when we'd heard a few more issues about the requirement existing, we asked kind of a reverse version of the question with about 500 people responding in September of 2022. This one, I'll tell you literally how we asked the question to help you gauge the results, I think. But we said, do you support removing the owner-occupancy requirement in single-unit zone districts so that ADUs don't have to be removed or decommissioned as dwelling units and residents would have to move out if the property can no longer live, if the owner can no longer live on the property? So we really built in some of the issues that we'd heard into it, we'd heard into that question. And when asked that way, we kind of got the reverse result, which was that 57% of folks said they strongly supported removing the requirement, and 11% said that they mostly supported removing the requirement. So it kind of depends on how you ask the question. Yeah, of course. Sarah, can you just introduce yourself, please? Yeah, of course. Hi, everybody. Sarah Showalter, Director of Planning Services for CPD. That was incredibly helpful, I think, to get all that info on some of the survey work we did, but I also just wanted to make sure because I haven't really heard it come up yet. And I think this topic from talking to planners in other states is like the hot topic around owner-occupancy, right? And so we all care about is you don't want to start encouraging outside investors and the potential for gentrification and displacement. But so I just wanted 
to acknowledge, yes, that is a concern. We have heard from other cities, they haven't seen that pattern, but also one of the main reasons that um, a lot of states have gotten rid of this is because it's a huge barrier to financing. So we have heard from people like um, the Single Family Plus program that DHA and the West Denver Renaissance um, Collaborative runs that having an owner occupancy requirement can actually be a barrier to moderate income homeowners who want to build ADUs because the financers are leery of a requirement that the situation that Abe just said, where somebody could be living on site and then let's say the owner needs to move or isn't gonna live there anymore and then you don't have the, the renter. And so it's, um, it's just a complicated issue because it can actually be the reverse where it's um, preventing one of the ways we most wanna use ADUs, which is to let moderate um, and lower income households build wealth um, because it makes it harder for them to build. And that's the state has been pretty clear about that's why this is in there is because they want to remove major barriers to ADUs um, and a requirement like this really can get in the way. So just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think, I guess I still am just, and maybe we can talk about this offline, but I'm just trying to figure out like, how has it become a barrier? Because if somebody decides to sell and move, they're selling the whole, they're selling both of them, aren't they? Like if, if, it, if it's owner occupied and then they decide to build an ADU, because you guys are saying that if that person then decides to leave that owner, then the property would be sold as still as a whole. Is that true or is that not true? Or is it, are they separate units? I'm actually not sure all the different options from a finance perspective. And I don't know, you know better looking at it. But um, I think this is where it'd be helpful to talk to some of the experts like Renee Martinez Stone, right? On like, where have they seen it actually break down? And what are the financing uh, options? But, but yeah, my understanding Sarah, is that- Hey, Sarah, sorry, I think yeah. what I think Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez is asking is can the accessory dwelling unit be sold separately? Right, can you have a split sale? Yeah, and in Denver, we don't allow that, right? Correct. Correct. But would this bill allow that to would happen? Would the state legislation allow the selling of an accessory dwelling unit separate than the primary unit? I don't. It's silent uh, in, in that regard. And in single unit zone districts presently, or is that correct, I think? We'll clarify the sponsor. Can you just come up to the mic so, so that we can hear you? Your conversation, if people are, walk, are watching online, they can't hear you, so thank you. Thank you. I think we'll clarify with the sponsors on that. I don't think so. I think it has to be sold as the universal parcel that was initially initiated, but we will go back to make sure we get that correct information for Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you so much. And my, my last question real quick is, um, is there any definition of affordable rents in the bill or is it just say affordable rent? Because I, ha I haven't looked it in for a while. And I can, I can look at that, but I was just curious. And if there, I guess that's just something for us to, to ponder is like, if we're just kind of making a statement saying that's an incentive is to build as long as you have affordable rent, that is um, subjective and, and exactly what does that mean? I so that, that nuance is a Tanya Kelly Bowery policy matters. That nuance I think is a critical one. I think to both of your points in terms of that issue, we can clarify again and go back to the members and check and then follow up with those two items with the council on feedback. And again, I just wanna reiterate, I think getting your bill positions and just your feedback to councilwoman 
um, Gonzalez Gutierrez, as well as Councilman Hines after this meeting, because I'm sure this was a lot of information that we presented to you all. Um, and doing that in a timely way would be great. And then we will follow back up with, I think with Councilwoman Sawyer with the answers to those two questions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madam Chair. Oh. I just, I'm sorry, I just wanted to clarify. You could see, obviously we all are not 100% sure on exactly, but the piece that I think we do understand and have heard from others is, uh, again, we need to confirm our understanding was not that um, Denver would uh, no longer be able to say, you know, you need to still sell it as a whole. But I think where it's a barrier for the financing is that if you have a renter input, like the, the whole financing is subject to this concept if you have the rental income coming from the uh, renter and then it um, you kind of have to reset, right, when the owner's not on the property anymore. Um, and you might even have to have uh, the, um, the renter move out. So it's, it's kind of, we do need to follow up on exactly whether you can split sale or not, but even if that's not the issue and you're still selling it as a whole, um, that's why, that's what we've heard anyway, is the financing issue is that you're underwriting the property based on this income and the renter being there because the owner is, but then if the owner moves away, um, you're not allowed to be renting it anymore and, and then you, you lose that income that's helping pay back the loan. That helps. Thank you. All right, thank you. Um, I wanna welcome Councilmember Lewis to the meeting and let's go to Councilmember Gilmore. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I'm gonna run through a couple of um, concerns, um, but first I would like to state for the record, um, given the issues um, that my constituents have struggled with, with the Green Valley Ranch, um, HOA foreclosure crisis. Um, we had over 50 single family homes in the Green Valley Ranch neighborhood that were foreclosed upon due to an overly egregious um, HOA that were penalizing and fining people for not moving their trash can from the curb up behind the fence for having a basketball hoop out in the thick of the pandemic, not having the right white um, blinds up in the front windows of their house. People actually were foreclosed upon and lost their homes and their homes were sold um, in some instances um, below $20,000, a single family home. And so um, one, I would love for the state legislature to allow municipalities to regulate homeowners associations. I will just say that for the record because of the lives destroyed and there's always that weird, you know, you need city council to set up a metro district in the city to develop an area. We as city council approve the service plans that go along with that metro district and how they operate and then we give that metro district the allowance then at the um, state level to then regulate homeowners associations where if we as city council are approving those metro districts and those services plans we should also be able to regulate in some way homeowners associations because we have folks who are bad actors in this area. I mean, the attorney general investigated it. There was nothing illegal 
that transpired, but unethical, yes, transpired. And so I will just state that from the get-go, but on this specific bill, I would more so like the state to allow us, like what I said, allow us to regulate HOAs who are operating within our city boundaries. And then if we're not going to have that allowance, I would be concerned then with them not prohibiting um, HOAs from prohibiting ADUs anymore, just that blanket allowance, what is the public education campaign that is associated with this bill? Because if you just do that, there is a very real communication gap. Like Abe, I've been pushing CPD staff for years to reach out to HOAs that are operating. Let's, you know, at least reach out to them. It's very difficult. There is not a register for us to go to to do that. And we have that set up with the rental license that we have in the city. So having some allowances at the state that local municipalities, if we're going to allow, if we're not going to allow them to regulate it, then we need to give, have the permissions for us to regulate it because I would be very concerned about the potential for homes getting into the foreclosure process because an HOA is not up on what the newest legislation is. And once that home is in the foreclosure process, there is nothing that we can do. It's a total separate process that we can't intervene upon. And so I would just ask at the state that there is consideration of this very real issue because people lost their life savings. One woman, the first person, um, her and her husband had been paying on the home for close to 20 years and they lost that home um, and their credit is messed up for the rest of their life. It has destroyed their family. And so there's much more that goes into this um, than just, you know, allowing that HOAs can't prohibit ADUs in somebody's backyard because there's a ripple out effect. And so I would respectfully ask for a little bit more um, pushback and conversation about how we're not going to get people into that judicial foreclosure process um, because HOAs are not regulated at the local municipality level. And it's just kind of everybody, it's a gray area in regulation. And so um, thank you for allowing me to share that perspective, Madam Chair. Thanks. Great, thank you. Councilmember Cashman. Thank you, Madam Chair. Abe, just a real quick question. Um, is, is, while we're on this topic, um, is there anything that CPD is looking at in what we did with uh, uh, ADUs in Denver that you, you'd like to change or did we miss something that this would be an opportunity to address? Yeah, thank you, Councilman Cashman. That's a good question. Again, I'm Abe Barge with uh, the Department of Community Planning and Development. And uh, I would say, you know, the ADUs in Denver text amendment to the zoning code is quite new. Uh, I don't see major policy things where we feel like, oh, we just got that wrong. Um, we, as is typical, we made some 
minor errors in how things are cross-referenced or, um, or illustrated, which we are planning to uh, address in a bundle of text amendments that will come before you, uh, I think, this, this summer. So it, it did sound like you're at least in thought about the residency requirement along with a, a bunch of other people. Right, we've, you know, of course, um, if the bill passes, we'll have to think about how we come into compliance. Um, one of the things that confused me a little bit reading the state bill was that it seemed silent on the timing of when a municipality would have to come into compliance, although some team members uh, may know that. Uh, but we assume there would be some kind of grace. Many communities would, would need it, of course. And uh, so we would then just think about like, by what process would we come into compliance? Um, luckily, as I mentioned, I think the ADUs in Denver project got us very close. You know, for example, we removed minimum lot size restrictions for accessory dwelling units. That's something the state legislation says we wouldn't be allowed to have, but we don't have that anymore. Thank you, that, that's all, Madam Chair. Great, thank you. Council Pro Tem Sandoval. Thank you. Um, so I, I think this is for CPD and for our colleagues. There's nuances to this owner occupied. Um, there's two things. So in Denver, to have a short-term rental, you have to be owner occupied. So in Denver, if you wanna rent out your accessory dwelling unit, you have to live in the primary or the accessory dwelling unit, correct? Right, it's uh, unfortunately, uh, thank you for your question, uh, Councilman Sandoval, the uh, opportunity to clarify a very confusion uh, inducing point between our short-term rental regulations and the owner occupancy requirement for accessory dwelling units. The short-term rental requirements don't speak to ownership. Silent on ownership, it's only about who lives on the property, who could be a renter, and who would be could be licensed to conduct a short-term rental. So it says that uh, only the primary resident of a property can conduct a short-term rental, but that primary resident could be a renter. And so if it weren't for the owner occupancy requirement for ADUs, uh, then there's no reason that a renter of an ADU couldn't conduct a short-term rental in that ADU, for example, or other configurations that didn't involve ownership. And really, the, the short-term rental rules are about ensuring that uh, the ability to conduct short-term rentals is really about uh, an income opportunity for a resident as opposed to a larger investment concern. But that, that resident could be a renter, Correct. not an owner. And then in addition, to build an accessory dwelling unit, Denver has an requirement that the owner live on site. So that I think is where this confusion lies about the owner occupancy, because it's not just for us to say owner occupancy, but it's two parts. It's short-term rental owner, like residential occupancy, and then to build, get permits to build an accessory dwelling unit on a single family lot in Denver, the owner needs to occupy the primary resident or they need to own it and then they can build the accessory dwelling unit, correct? 
Okay, so once we're just talking about ADUs, accessory dwelling units, that's where the owner occupancy requirement lives, not specifically related to short-term rentals, but yes. So uh, you need to be the owner of the property to build the ADU. And that's one of the challenges that I think Sarah was speaking about a little bit that um, although yes, uh, you could sell the whole property with ADU to someone else who was going to live there and that would comply with, with our existing rules. But if you, for example, even moved across the street in with your significant other, but didn't sell the property, you come out of compliance with owner occupancy because you no longer live there. And technically that means you have to, that the ADU can't exist. If somebody was renting it, they can't be renting it anymore. Uh, it has to be decommissioned, which kind of means like some component of it that makes it a dwelling unit taken out, like a gas line removed or something. So I was on a panel the other day with Reedridge, and they have also an owner occupancy to build an accessory dwelling unit because they, and I border Reedridge on Sheridan, they have seen, um, and this is a new rule that they just established, I think like within a couple of years, I can't remember all, all of what they were talking about, but it is to, they are also concerned about gentrification and displacement of developers coming in, buying parcels, building an accessory dwelling unit, and then driving up the market because the market drives at the prices of our taxes, our property taxes, and drives things. And so they also are concerned. And so I haven't talked to Adams County. I can't remember if Adams County has an, um, an owner occupancy requirement if you're building an accessory dwelling unit. But Reed Ridge doesn't have, you can have a short-term rental in Reed Ridge and not have to live in the primary unit. So our, when we were talking, it's very nuanced because Denver's an outlier where you have to actually live in the property to have a short-term rental. And I think that's where some of this confusion is on this particular bill and how it's implemented with what's being ran at the state because there's overlapping occupancy requirements. One thing to make sure is clear that if the state bill passed with the prohibition on having an owner occupancy requirement and we were to remove that requirement, you would still, in order to get a short-term rental license, have to live on the property Correct. to get it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Great. Thank you. Um, Adam, I think you have some clarification for us on the question of whether an ADU can be sold separately under this bill. Yeah, we do. Thank you, Madam Chair. And we got some other clarifications from sponsors as well. So if you look at page 17 of the bill, when a jurisdiction is putting itself forward as a ADU supportive jurisdiction, an option they give is the separate uh, pa pathway for a separate sale of the ADU. They explicitly outline that in page 17 of the bill. So it seems like it is a permissive authority that would be granted as part of this legislation. And then I will actually turn it over. That's correct. So we just got some clarity on that. And then the other piece of clarity um, around the opting in um, to, to participate in the grant funding. Um, so I think it was on our PowerPoint, there was kind of a bulleted list of like five or six additional things that you can do um, to, to make yourself an even sort of better EDU jurisdiction. If you opt into one of those, then you essentially opt into the financing. So it's not like a grant program that you have to kind of navigate, you just opt in by doing one of those additional pieces. 
Great, thank you for that clarification. Um, while we're on the topic of the affordable ADUs and an affordability plan, um, how would this state legislation change, if at all, our relationship with WDRC? So for those watching at home, uh, the West Denver Renaissance Collective, collaborative? Collaborative. collaborative um, is, uh, is an affordable ADU building program. So they will actually work with homeowners who want to build an ADU in Denver and they finance a portion of it in exchange for deed restricted affordability. It is uh, a partnership with the city of Denver, I believe. Um, it was originally designed to come into the city of Denver at some point. This was sort of like the pilot process of it. Um, it has not done that up to this point. So I'm curious when we talk about, um, you know, the state offering uh, financing, would that financing come to the city or would that financing go to WDRC or like it, is WDRC large enough to be able to take on a citywide process? Um, I know that their contract does not allow it currently. So there's like a lot more kind of um, uh, very nuanced issues around this affordability with our relationship with WDRC. And I'm just curious whether anyone has looked at that yet. I'm interested in some of the nuances there as well. Uh, I think as I read it, uh, the ability to receive a grant would be for an ADU supportive jurisdiction. So we've gone, we meet all the rules, gone a little bit above and beyond. We have uh, opt ourselves in, we're eligible for grants. We receive grants to uh, help lower income residents build ADUs, for example. Um, that's that's us, I'm pretty sure, as it's written, is the supportive jurisdiction that has to do that. I don't know, however, if we couldn't then take those funds and provide a portion or all of them to an agency such as the West Denver Renaissance Collaborative, which already has a great program in place to help lower income homeowners uh, benefit from ADUs. Okay. I think it would be helpful, um, Adam, if, if we could find out a little bit more information and clarity on that one, just because WDRC has been a fantastic partner of ours for several years, and I think we want to be respectful of them and make sure that, um, you know, however this might change that relationship, we have a conversation about it ahead of time. Um, so thank you for that. Um, question for you, Abe, about the primary residence requirement. Why did we not just align our um, during the, the ADUs in Denver project, why didn't we just align our short-term rental law and our, um, and our residency requirement to build an ADU? Or was that even part of the conversation? Um, we did not uh, seek to align the short-term rental requirement directly with the owner occupancy requirement. Um, primarily, I think, because there were somewhat two different objectives there. Uh, one is about uh, ensuring that a person who is invested long-term as a resident of the property is actually the one that's conducting a short-term rental. So that's the, the short-term rental rule. It's about um, the person who lives there. The owner-occupancy rule is really gets to questions of investment, I think. Uh, and that is whether or not you could buy up multiple properties and build ADUs. And that's about ownership. And so we really kept the two things 
separate in the conversation. Okay, so, really appreciate that clarification. Thank you. Um, Adam, question for you. So as you know, I'm an elective member of the executive board of CML. Um, CML feels very strongly about local control and feels that state preemption of land use um, decision-making power, which is what we have as city council members, um, is a problem. So I'm just curious what other kind of jurisdictions or what other conversations are going on out there? Yeah, thank you, Councilwoman. So there are nine pages of reported positions on the Secretary of State's office. <laughs> a lot of them are jurisdictions. Uh, from In terms of the sort of uh, organizations that tend to represent municipalities, uh, CML is currently an amend position. I am seeking uh, copies of what exactly they're hoping to see amended. And then uh, CCAT, which is a, another organization we participate in, is also seeking an amend position. I will say there are separate jurisdictions who have weighed in on this bill, uh, many of them in the, in the metro area who are impacted, who have taken either supporting or opposing positions as well. Um, so I would encourage you to look at that, that full list on the Secretary of State's website, because it is interesting to see all the different stakeholders at play here. Can you do us a favor and send us the link to that, please? Yeah, just happy so to. That, just to all council members, that would be great. Sure. Okay, wonderful. Sure. Um, okay, seeing no other questions, um, I wanted to just ask, uh, Councilmember Gonzalez Gutierrez, since you're here, Councilmember Hines isn't. Um, would it be possible to resend? Actually, first, let's. Can you refresh my memory? Have we taken a position as a council or a city on this yet? No, we have not. We haven't. Okay. Um, can you please do us a favor and maybe resend um, what was sent previously, just so that after this discussion, council members can way back in um, on kind of their thoughts moving forward. Um, I will say, I personally um, think that state preemption of our land use authority sets a very bad precedent to start with. Um, I think that, you know, we have worked very, very hard in Denver, bless you, thank you, to, um, to come up with rules that work with our community. And as a council member who has stood here and rezoned and had community discussions on rezoning several different neighborhoods um, where the owner occupancy requirement was a sticking point for many people, but we they were supportive of it as a result of that. It feels um, very difficult to then stand up and say, oh, well, um, the state has come in and said that that's not going to happen for us. So even though we had all of these conversations over the last four years about rezoning for ADUs, um, you know, sorry, those conversations are null and void. Um, I have a I have a lot of concerns about that. So um, I think it would be great if you guys wouldn't mind reaching back out to residents. I mean, to residents, to council members, um, to just you know, check in and now that we've had this conversation, see if council members, um, you know, fall in a different position. Could you please just remind everyone what the positions are that we can, that we could send in, um, amend, support? Yes. Support with amendments, all the stuff. Yeah, so what we're doing is just gathering feedback from um, council members and, and where, um, you know, they might, um, see themselves on different types of bills. And that is so that we can, um, you know, work with the mayor's office on uh, an official city position. And so those types of positions are either support, oppose, amend, monitor, 
are, are, are the basic positions. And within those, you know, if we are in a support position and, and want to be more active, which is, you know, providing testimony, um, you know, maybe there's a letter from council um, that can be, we, we can do a proclamation, um, all these different ways that we can show like how we're supporting or opposing something. In the amended monitor, that's really where our lobby team will be really helpful is having conversations with bill sponsors, um, but also it'll be us understanding what council members are, are wanting to see. And that one's a little bit tricky because there's 13 of us and trying to see where, where each person ends up. And I feel like with this particular bill, we do, we have been hearing from council members individually that, you know, different things um, depending on, on, but I think the one consistent thing I will say that I'm hearing is that if not anything, that there is definitely room for improvement on this bill um, for amendments in, in what is happening um, as it relates to what we would have authority and control over. Um, and so I think, you know, that is something that we have to think about is if this bill is likely to pass, then what do we want it to actually then look like? And what do we, what do we want to propose that it does? Um, and so that's something we need to like factor into that conversation as well. So absolutely. Great, thank you so much. So council members, if you wouldn't mind, please weighing in. Um, I think as our lobbyists have said, it, this is really fast moving. There's a lot of conversations. So, um, you know, if this is something you feel strongly about weighing in on in, in whatever position, please email that information um, to council member Hines and Gonzalez Gutierrez, just so that they've got it and can connect with the mayor's office um, and with our, um, our lobbyists on that. And with that, we are adjourned for the day. Thanks for joining I think, us. Oh. What about the call outs that they messaged us on Teams? Is that for this meeting? I'm sorry, wait, let me take a look. I'm not looking on okay. Teams. There is, I don't see anything. We have two okay, call outs. Great. I'm sorry? They're gonna just have to go to committee. Oh, great. Okay, we've received two call outs from con consent items for this meeting. 240182 and 240186. Um, so we need a motion and a second to vote on each of those um, to remove them from the consent agenda. So let's start with 240182. So moved. All right. Second. We've got a mover and a seconder. Do and we need to do a roll call vote on each. Ann, can you do a roll call vote for us, please? Shannon, can you do a roll call vote for us, please? I'll be doing Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Lewis. Sorry, Wonderful. Shannon, can I interrupt real quick? Mm -hmm. um, can somebody explain to me why we're voting to call something out of consent? Oh, we received two call outs. From uh, the FinGov consent agenda today. Yes, that's correct. So Councilwoman Parity wants to vote no on them. No. no. Sorry. I, no, she called no. them out so that we could have presentations on them. I, I think there's... Oh, I apologize. Shannon, I think my team was trying to send a call out for that had to do with tonight's council agenda. 
I'm gonna. I'm not on this committee, and I. Yeah, I don't think not we need trying to do to... this exercise. I so. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, okay. So, so here's what I would like to do. There are two items that may or may not be on the FinGov agenda. Can you please check and see whether they are on today's consent FinGov agenda first? They are on the agenda for They today. are on FinGov consent agenda for FinGov today. consent agenda. Great. Yes. Okay. So, Councilmember Parity, do you want to um, vote no on those? Do you want to get presentation? She's not a member of FinGov. Yeah, and and no, I don't. Okay, great. Um, then we're going to apologize go ahead to everyone. And, Thank you. Yeah, leave those on the consent agenda, and um, with that, we are adjourned. Thanks Thank so much. You. Okay. <laughs>